This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books. Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another edition of Wireless Books. We are broadcasting physically in the lovely building that is housing Otago Access Radio instead of Zoom which suits us much better because we are a wee bit 20th century that way and we are here on behalf of and for the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute which is proudly Dunedin's oldest institution and also a lending library. You can be a member of both the Athenaeum and the Public Library, which is wonderful. The advantages of being with the Athenaeum Library is just for the trifling amount of $69, including GST per year, there are no wait times for those books Mm. that you love. And you get to take out three books at a time. So I know in the Public Library you can take out armfuls, but three books at a time, and it's for a month, is it? Christine, yeah, four weeks. Four weeks. Um, and but most people look oh, be lucky if they've not returned them within the week because we we do love our our reading. It's only I do believe one member. I think I do believe she's a sister of mine who has terrible trouble, but she is keeping the coffers alive with the fines. So a dollar a week what? for overdue books. I'll be. He was without sin and all that, (laughs) (laughs) casting the first stone. I know, I may be a bit. You know, my New Year's resolution for this year was be more relaxed, and I just think being relaxed before I take my books back. But no, I've given myself a stern talking to, and they will be back toot sweet. Well, and just before Beth said to me, you're in a very bad mood, (laughs) aren't you? (laughs) As if it's a surprise. (laughs) Coming up against such ridiculousness. <laughs> now, another thing that um, members have said to me that they really enjoy about our library is that if you are into um, reading an author, a series of a, of an author, the public library has this nasty habit of selling books off after a few years. Whereas um, we don't, we don't, we hold on to everything. We have. Everything. Because, actually, that is a very good point. Because the old Athenaeum committee, many, many, many years ago, did not see the value in keeping all Mm. these wonderful social history records. And what a lot we have lost. Yes. It's just... I think a lot of it... Well, some of it they just sort of turfed off to the Regent Books. Uh, but, of course, space is always an issue, and we are sort of bulging a bit. But um, oh, I keep Speak find- for yourself. <laughs> I've been bulging for a while. <laughs> but I keep finding um, little corners, and yeah, I tend to keep books unless they're in terrible, um, say, something horrible's mm. happened to them. But um, if a book's in a reasonable condition, we definitely hold on to it. And so people... Um, they f- they find an author they like and they can't if you go to the public library you can maybe read their last three books if you come to us you can go all the way through um, that oof <laughs> that's right 
I just like saying that word. I know. I'm that. probably mispronouncing it, but I oh, don't yeah, care. You always do, but we don't hold that against you. No. Harder I finding of, the perfect librarian. Oh, yes, yeah. and it's yet to be found. Now, someone who's oove, people like to read, <laughs> is Louise Penny. <gasps> I oove <laughs> Louise Penny. I do, do I? I don't know that you actually oh, do. I think I'm thinking of... Oh, you know, you're the other one. Anne Cleese. No, the other one. Oh, I don't know. Yes, you do. Uh, she wrote um, The Hoarder and um, Melody Brown and... Oh, Lu- um, oh Lisa, Lisa Jewell. Yes. Lisa Jewell, yes. Yeah. Um, well, Louise Penny has actually co-written a book with Hillary Rodden Clinton, which is... Oh, I know her. Mother of Chelsea. That's right. I don't know what it's about these Clintons because her husband, the um, the delightful... The father of Chelsea. I've forgotten his first name. Bill. 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 <laughs> Bill has co-authored some thrillers with um, James Patterson. Well, I mean, these are... Well, why not? This, it was probably a long, burning ambition of them to be able to write best-selling fiction. And, you know, they've done... A lot. They've done things that most people would never, ever, ever, ever do. So what's left? Yeah. One appear on um, Coronation Street. Uh, <laughs> I doubt American presidents uh, and the first lady have that on their bucket list. <laughs> uh, or Young and the Restless. Then. Or oh no, Modern Oprah. Family. No, Oprah. they all go on Oprah anyway. That's you know, go on Oprah. Yes. Yeah, so what else is there left? So no, I think that adds. Uh, I think that Louise Penny and James Patterson, who do not need any um, help at all, I know, but I think that will just slightly um, bring maybe new readership to them having those two co-authors. Well, Good on them. It's a very different book than the usual Louise Penny because, of course, it doesn't have her normal characters. And I think possibly most of it has, has been written by by Hillary and Louise has maybe gone along and cleaned it up. Um, Louise Penny has been a friend of Hillary Clinton's and apparently this the genesis of this was um, Louise asked Hillary, when you were the Secretary of State, what what was your biggest fear? What kept you awake at night? And and Hillary was born. Yes, and Hillary said, "Let me all write it, write it down." And so she's. They've created um, a woman who is the um, Secretary of State in a new um, um, administration. And the previous administration um, was a bit incompetent, and. International affairs um, kick off with um, terrorist bombings and stuff, and and she has to work out whether it is actually linked to the previous uh, administration. Were they just incompetent, or were they actually treasonous? Oh, and it's called State of, of terror. terror. So now we know what Hillary feared the most. Mm. Yes, apparently. So yeah. Now I've got another book. Set in the Middle East, but it's it's not a fiction. It's actually a memoir. It's um, Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller by Nadia Wasif, and she, her sister, and a friend were bemoaning the fact that the Egypt's an interesting country because it actually, um, after the Second World War, became a, a 
a sort of a communist democracy, sort of weirdly, and and so they a lot of um, the state holds a lot of power and runs a lot of functions, and the, all the bookshops were run by the state and inefficiently and with lack of interest. <laughs> and so these young women were bemoaning the fact that all the books they could buy were pretty dusty old mm. things and not very interesting. And they thought, why don't we set up our own bookshop? And of course. Um, they had no experience. They none of them had a business degree. Um, they did no market research. They just thought, "Oh well, let's let's give it a go." And if they if they had had more knowledge, they probably wouldn't have have dared to do it. But they actually made a great fist of it, and they ended up with about ten different books shops. And she was um, her role in the organisation was to sort of shout at people. She would, she was the person who knocked people's heads together and, and made them do things the way she wanted them to do. Because Egypt, oh, it's a very chauvinistic society, and so they would they would hire young men who would think that, who didn't want to take um, orders, orders from, from a woman. woman. Mm. And if they um, were Muslims, they would have their own... Um, idea of what sh- what books were right to sell and um, she gave an example of sh- they just opened a new bookshop uh, in a university um, precinct and she was and each bookshop had a, a cafe in it and she was in the cafe just sort of keeping a, a, a an ear open to see what was happening and she heard a customer asked for um, the Arabian Night, a book about the Arabian Nights, those fairy stories, and the books. And the young man said, "Oh, we don't actually have that; it's out of stock." And she knew that it was. And so, after the customer left, she went and questioned him, and he, because apparently, um, it's against the Muslim precincts of, of some people or some Muslims think it's offensive because it's full of. Um, Sexualized activities and stuff and such, and um, it's the same with fundamentalists and stuff. I mean, every religion, I mean, just about mm. every. Yeah, there's no person who doesn't want to ban someone else's books, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so she, you know, she had to reprimand him and tell him he was to phone the customer back the next day and, and say that he'd found he'd found a copy for her and. Um, and she was going to be keeping an eye on him because, of course, the stock-taking system would let her know that that had happened or not. So, but, you know, you needed somebody who was um, not afraid to be disliked who to keep staff up to, the, up to the mark because otherwise they would just sort of do their own thing. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's run a shop would know that, really, because if you don't watch out for your staff, they, they, they will get away with murder. Oh, dear. So... But anyway, we we kind of think of Egypt as being yes, it is quite repressive and very fundamentalist in a lot of ways. But there are pockets of quite of liberalism and such. I mean, she's actually been married twice, and and um, she actually swears a lot. She's a terrible swearer. Quite shocking. Oh, she's a very good swearer. <laughs> she's a very good well. She's very. Um, she actually lives in, in London now, and she, she swears like an English person. And you know how English people um, are very good at swearing. They manage to. Are you generalising a lot? I'm neither confirming nor denying. Well, next a, book. A certain class of English person um, tends to be um, the educated elite. Will find a way of inserting a swear word in every sentence. <laughs> I tend to use it as punctuation. 
<laughs> just depending on your point of view, that's good or bad. Now, here's a very English book. It's um, Sharp's Assassin by Bernard Cornwell. And I counted them up, and I think it's about the 23rd book. So he, he has written a lot of these Sharp books. And this one is set after after Waterloo, and Sharp is is called on by uh, the Duke of Wellington to to hit this or to keep safe a group of um, officers who are going around fight, hunting down the works of art that the Napoleons stole from the rest of Europe to re- is, May I ask, is this a new book or is it an older book? No, it's a new book. Because I really like Bernard Cornwell. Mm, yeah. I haven't read the Sharp series of books, but I have watched Sean Penn in them, mm. and they were really good. So I'm thinking I might like, when I'm allowed, um, to start that uh, set off, because they're just really good adventure mm. stories, and there's nothing wrong with an adventure story, um, and I, I do like his writing style. Yes, and um, I think you'd, if you did that, you would actually prob- learn a lot about the... Um, well, Napoleonic? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, it starts off in the in the peninsula, um, Spain, in other words. Um, yeah. So this, yeah, this is this is his most recent book. It's bang up to date, and it's just about the. I think it's, it's almost the end of the Sharp series. It sort of ends with Sharp settling down, but who knows? He might be called up again for. More service to mm. king and country. Was it king then? Am I right? Yes, king. Oh, king and country. Mm. It was um, George, George the Fourth, but he was probably the prince regent then. Okay, next. Mm. Now I've got this book called The Magician by Colin Tobin, and it's he's an Irish writer. He um, wrote Nora Webster and um, and. Um, what was his most the book that was um, Brooklyn that was uh, made into a movie and um, got Oscar nominations for its stars, but he 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 also writes um, books fictionalized accounts of real people of authors. He's fascinated by authors, and he wrote one about um, um, Henry James. Now this so this is about the story of Thomas Mann who is. A German writer who was basically writing from 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 out of the First World War up until he died in the fifties or maybe a bit later, and he he became a very famous writer. He's best known for a book called The Magic Mountain, and he's a very famous author. But he's one of those people that you have fame famous authors suddenly people know of them, but nobody reads their Reads their work, and then mm. then they start to think this starts to happen. And people write about them, and then people know about them from reading about them rather than reading, reading them. them. Mm. And in fact, um, I was the other day I was listening to um, national radio in the afternoon, and and Jesse was interviewing or had a person on who who said that he had actually read this book and he absolutely loved it and he'd been given it by his mother and he said he was a bit 
up to about page 50 before he realised that Thomas Mann was actually a real person and wasn't someone that had been invented. It wasn't a fiction. Oh, scream. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I think it was very brave of him to admit that because I, went, I was like, oh. but um, yeah, I can't say I've ever read any Thomas Mann, but I, I know, I recognise the name and I know the Magic Mountain. So yeah, so he's just one of, that's just what happens to famous, um, like, like James Joyce and stuff, who most people don't read James Joyce, but they probably read stories about them, or, or um, Virginia Woolf. So all those people who were really, really famous, you know of them, and you can reel off the names of their books. You could possi- possibly even give a pot, plot summary, but you haven't read them. Mm. And it's just, um, that's what happens over time. Actually, it's a little bit of a sidebar, you know how when a famous musician dies, everybody rushes out and buys their albums and stuff, and yep. there's a real jump in their sales. When I first started working at the library, um, someone famous, I can't remember who, died, and I thought, oh, I'll dig out the, uh, some of their books because people might want to take them out. Nobody touched them. When an author dies, it's as if suddenly people don't want to read them because they find it a bit creepy to read read the words of somebody who's dead but they've got no problem listening to the music of somebody who's dead Christine, I don't understand it people still read Shakespeare but you need to quantify what you've just said well I'm saying in a very <laughs> specific way I'm not talking about people who are classics and yeah. and in fact how many people actually do read Shakespeare apart from people who have to do it for academic reasons or people who are actors and have to appear in a play I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I actually do have Shakespeare at home. And how often do you pull them off the shelf and well, have a bit of a read? Well, funnily enough, it, it's like having a bath there and a shower. So I don't have a bath all the time, but I've got a choice. Same thing. Yes, but most people, and what I'm saying is that when somebody just <laughs> dies, I'm not saying about people who are, I mean, like I read Jane Austen, but... Um, I know. Yeah, and um, I've re- you know, and I read a bit of Dickens every now and again. But most, you know, the great works of literature, I don't read. I always read Agatha Christie over and over. I think actually, I think what what you're saying is right. But what you're talking about is people who've been dead for a while, sort of like a dead fish in a way. When they first oh, die, look. nobody wants to read them. They they're really put off by it. And then after a, a sort of a pause, they start to books become attract. Some of some of the books look, become attractive. I defer again. to your superior knowledge. I've only got two things to say to you. Mm-hmm. Um, one is I'm going to keep an eye out for that. Um, that pattern that you're saying in two, if anyone wants to complain about what Christine said, nothing to do with me. <laughs> Our mothers never complain to us. <laughs> they just say, you did a good job there, dear. <laughs> Next. <laughs> now, this is by a man called Amor Toulouse, and it's called The Lincoln Highway. And it's about this young boy. He's oh, eighteen years old, and he's actually been in a in a juvenile work farm because um, he did something where somebody ended up dying, and it what sort of wasn't his was his fault, but not he didn't do it intentionally. It was just a terrible accident. But he feels he feels the guilt of it. He's actually a good person. He's not 
a, a nasty person and he he's being driven back by the warden to go back to his home in Nebraska. Now, in the meantime, his father has died, his mother, his mother's out of the picture, and he's got a younger son, not son, brother, um, who is um, eight, an eight-year-old brother, Billy, and his plan is to go back. And the the house is about the farm is about to be foreclosed because his, his father's had plenty of luck and all of it bad, mm. so he's he goes back and he him and Billy um, he's he. You know, he signs the papers for the bank, and then he he plans for him and Billy to get in in the, a car which he actually owns and to drive to California. But, but unbeknownst to them, some friends from the um, from the work farm have actually stowed away in the warden's car. So when the warden drives off, suddenly he's got these other two guys from the work farm, and they've got other plans. They want to go to New York. And so ah. they hit a big, you know, they start this amazing um, road trip. Except I think they actually um, end up in um, swagging on trains and stuff. Oh, all sorts of that book sounds fantastic. Mm, yeah. And it got really, really good reviews. And so I thought, hmm. Okay. It's got a very uh, moody picture of. Um, it is black and white, and it's. Oh. Is that a humbug? I don't know what's the car called. It's written on the back of it. I can't see it. Mm. Anyway, picture of a car. Yeah. Uh, driving down a lonely highway. With um, somebody waving out out the window. Yes. So that's that's a book that I think people who like um, American noir will probably enjoy. It's yeah, a of, absolutely. It's a bit of magical fiction in there sort of a way. And the last one is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. And this is an American book. And it starts with this young girl. She's now late teens, early 20s. And she's out partying with her friends. And her friends, she's a student and she gets by with part-time jobs. So she doesn't have much money. And her friends are actually working already. And they've got more money to spend. So she's out with them. And she's... She's busy, you know, counting the cost of everything. She, you know, to try and eke things mm. out so she can, and she can't quite keep up with them. So she's starting to get a bit annoyed. And then her phone rings, and it's um, a woman that she knows who she's babysat for this um, woman's child before, but not on a regular basis. And she says, "Oh, can you come and babys- babysit for me for a while? Can you just take um, the kid out to the, to the grocery store for me?" And normally she would probably say no way, but because she's a, she's a bit fed up with her friends, so she's and she thinks, oh well, you know, it's an excuse for me to leave, and it's a bit more money. So she says, oh yeah, sure. So she she turns up and she's sort of dressed to go clubbing, but you know, so she's sort of dressed up as a party girl a, a wee bit, and she takes the kid down to the grocery store, and they're wandering around doing the groceries, and someone, of course, she's a black girl, and the and the child is a is a blonde toddler. And somebody says, is that child yours? And accuses her of being a kidnapper. And oh. the next thing, she's arrested for kidnapping, oh which is horrific and horrible. And the woman who, who hired her is absolutely mortified and and feels that she wants to try and make it up to her. And, of course, it all goes wrong. Uh, that sounds like another brilliant mm. book. Now, I think one of the interesting things... In this book is the difference between being a babysitter and a nanny because I've never had it spelled out to me before. A nanny is somebody who's employed by you and gets benefits 
so they're they're your um, employer employee. Whereas a babysitter is casual and you don't get any benefits. You turn up and you're paid for when you're there mm. and then, then you go away. And this girl is busy trying to get from the casual workforce into the permanent workforce. And although her employer, you know, the woman who's hiring to babysit, wants to, to make amends, she won't make her a, a, a nanny. employee. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's just, but that's, yeah. It's very, very, um, it's a book that people have just found astonishing and amazing. And it's won all sorts of awards. It was um, long listed for the booker. And, um, yeah, it's one of those books that people read and they just want to talk about. Oh, I can't wait to read it. And there's a picture of the the author there. Oh, she's she's beautiful. Yeah, a beautiful young woman. Yep. And, um, yeah, beautiful, young and talented. So good on her. Absolutely. And on that note, everyone, thanks, Christine. I'll bring my books back, I promise. Um, and <laughs> until next time, everyone. If I'm in a good re- mood, you know oh. that she has. Yeah. <laughs> yes, happy reading. Happy reading. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum Library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.